Welcome to the WNCA Podcast. This is your host, Jack Gaines. WNCA is a product of the Civil Affairs Association and brings in people who are current or former military, diplomats, development officers, and field agents to discuss their experiences on ground with a partner nation's people and leadership. Our goal is to inspire anyone interested in working the last three feet of foreign relations. To contact the show, email us at capodcasting at gmail.com or look us up on the Civil Affairs Association website at www.civilaffairsassoc.org. I'll have those in the show notes. We have to have mutual respect for what each of us brings to the battlefield. And, right. I, and I honestly just don't think in a lot of cases we do. Today, we welcome retired Colonel Robert Curris, who drafted the opinion piece, The Army Needs to Invest in Psychological Operations and Not Cut Them. He published the article in the November 1st edition of the Military Times, and I'll have a link to the story in the show notes. This is the first time I've had the honor of bringing in an expert in psychological operations. And with the Army Reserve combining some civil affairs, information operations, and PSYOP commands, this is an excellent opportunity to give the community a voice. So let's get started. You know, at the end of the day, uh, we've had to really fight to be seen as a peer. And then going back to the comment I started this with, there is a lack of general respect for each other's mission sets. Sure. It's a shame because over time and through multiple conflicts, you know, in our case, going all the way back to World War One, and when I say your case, I mean civil affairs. I mean, you've, you've played a big portion of the role ever since World War Two, just with different names, but especially came into your own after Vietnam when you were, you know, sort of came out of the cords. We've shown over time and in history that we need all of it. Sure. But everybody wants to prioritize their thing. Right now, there hasn't been for a long time a site general since McClure, uh, which would have been in the in the mid fifties all the way through early sixties. Oh, um, now really? You guys haven't had a general been, since then? Not an active duty one. Uh, okay, we, we've had we've had a couple in the reserve forces, and, okay. uh, and and the best one we've had was in the reserve force just a few years ago, and. She was the deputy at KPOC for a little while. I'm not sure what her current job is, but but at the end of the day, because of the great divorce, as we call it, from 2006, when the reserve forces were split from U.S. Army Special Operations Command, even when they push on our behalf, they're limited on on how far they can go. Right. And, you know, all my SF friends out there listening, I would say this. If the roles were reversed, it would be exactly the same thing. So if McClure, whose name is on the building for the USOC command, was were still in charge, we would probably be buying more media-type equipment than sniper rifles. Right. Like, I get it. Like, you're going to default to what you know and, and prioritize that kind of thing because, from our perspective, frankly, we're still using the same round in a sniper rifle that we've used for the last 30 years. Changing the platform doesn't change the bullet that much. Right. Um, and that... I, I get I get the processes and I get why we don't get the decisions we want sometimes, but I do think uh, over time it's had a really negative effect. Sure. Well, do you think that psyop is over tied to the soft community? Do they need to separate in some way, or do you think that there's enough representation in the in the soft community to actually keep a viable psyop you know organization going? 
for me, this is, you know, and I know that you're not trying to put me on the spot. You no, no, no. Spot. And I know you see but, it as but, two but, sides but, of the but, same mirror. But the, the, re- the reason that I say that it's always a trick question for me, because it goes back to our history. You right. know, and, you know, we started the psychological warfare school in Kansas in like 1950 and then like 52 or 54 McClure brought it to Bragg. And when he did that, that's when he hired Volkman and, and the other early SS guys who were standing up 10th group and everything else sure. to come in and, and uh, expand the schoolhouse from the psychological warfare center to what would eventually become the special warfare center. Right. And so our entire modern history. So post-World War II is tied to soft. Yeah, And so it's really, really difficult for me to say that we should, you know, sort of walk away. But having said that, because timeline wise, you know, SF is the, the younger branch at the time, um, you know, they got the keys to the kingdom and they've run with it. And I don't like I said, I don't blame them. I would have done the same thing in reverse. Sure. Uh, but but it's put us in a position where, you know, would we get a better deal elsewhere? You know, when Cyber Command was standing up and they were getting all kinds of money in billets and it was sort of floated then, uh, it, what it really came right. down to was we were afraid to leave our heritage. And, and maybe we need to, you know. Uh, or at least have satellites in different groups so yes. that you're not just tied to one, just to soft. But like, like you said, Cyber is actually a very good home for PSYOP because they're a transmission there. They do breakthrough, you know, access to places that, you know, I can't reach as a CA or PAO, but they need that influence. They need that message to get over to the adversary or to the public that they're trying to shift their behavior. And PSYOP's perfect for it. It really is. That's what I agree. I, I mean, it has access or can gain access to platforms that, that we might not be able to get to right. on our own and, uh, and be able to, 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 really target you know certain populations and or decision makers right the way that we could um you know in our history so i i I don't think it's a bad thing at at this point i don't think it's sacrosanct to float the idea and talk about it but uh to go all how the army runs geek on you again with the dot pfp (laughs) stuff um there you go saying that word again (laughs) yeah that that whole word that just makes you know if you're in the army you hear that word you start twitching right right so uh um, but the reality is, you know, there's a whole like six week course called how the army runs. And it's because, you know, leaders would like to think that they can make arbitrary decisions and not have to to go through processes to do them, right. especially within our soft. I mean, yeah. we have a history of asking for permission later and, and, and I get it. Like we don't always have the luxury of time, but having said that, those processes are there for a reason and they are normally tied to, you know, core tasks that are approved and those tasks, you know, become missions and those missions become, you know, training dollars and requirements and, and all that kind of stuff. So that's my dot mil PFP lesson in 30 seconds. But at the end of the day, they're there for a reason. And especially when you look at all the schoolhouses and I mean, all of them, you know, they all go through that reason through that process so that they understand how they're training their people to achieve a core mission. Right. And I think that's the problem that we've had in special warfare center for a long time is we haven't agreed on what our core mission should be. And, and there's been a lot of bleed. And so when you look at the latest decision to change the command relationship from, in our case, our regional battalions with the SF groups, putting them in control instead of our own fourth group uh, headquarters, 
you know, that provides much potentially better integration at the tactical level. Right. And, and certainly a cleaner chain of command for them. But what I think. But it lacks the codependency to where they have to rely on you as well for the decision. Correct. And so they become gatekeepers. Well, they've been gatekeepers for a long time, but yeah. uh, yes, <laughs> you know, but, but which is fine. Um, a lot of them are great people; they do great things. But when you're when you're at the wrong end of a budget change, it's hard. We're <laughs> yeah. or, or equipped, or you know, I have you know at least a dozen different stories of where equipment that was important to us got cut because it wasn't important to them, right? And, and, and some you know hard time budgeting conversations. I mean, the easiest one was in about the two thousand and. 11 or 12 time praying uh socom not just used to talk but socom got hit by um dod to cut what they referred to as over 3,000 nodes which were essentially computers they wanted to lessen their computer footprint and the amount of bandwidth that they were using oh, wow. and and so in the beginning of the global war on terror we had asked for additional support from the joint special operations communication elements and and they just didn't have the bandwidth to give us and socom at that time literally told us to go out and build our own so we did we created a satellite network and had satellite equipment that was labeled as psyop equipment you know so there was a p either on the front or the end of everything so it wasn't just like a satellite dish it was a psyop satellite you know kind right. of right that way they don't just take your toys right and and <laughs> when, it, when it was all said and done they, they took you know, your toys. They, well, well, yeah, they took the toys because, and, and the irony was that this they is had great never, stuff. <laughs> when they told us to build it, we did. It became SIAP equipment. It became programs of record, the whole thing. And it was never counted as, as signal pieces of equipment. It was SIAP pieces of equipment. But when they needed to delete signal equipment, they deleted our entire satellite communications program, the entire thing. Right. And, and that's just one of a hundred examples I could probably give off the top of my head. But at the end of the day, it was, they didn't value why we were using it because we were pushing larger files like audio files and video files and, and uh, bigger files for graphics. And, right. as, and at that same time, we were starting to experiment with some 3D capabilities, which takes up an enormous amount of bandwidth. And it left. So it really comes down to we have time and time again not had our stuff valued the way that we valued it internally, and we never got to make the decision. Right. Because it wasn't like they came to us and said, okay, we're cutting 3,000 nodes. You know, help us figure out how we how we can smartly cut some of your nodes as, as part of just a, a SOCOM right. tax. And we would have been like, sure, not a problem. It sucks, but we'll figure it out. You know, we'll be team players. But instead, they made a decision to just cut it all. And and there's been scenarios like that time and time again. You know, it, it's, it's interesting to me, our, the current FDU, the force design update mm-hmm. that we are operating under, was because we had SIOP had submitted a force design update to SOCOM. It had come back with questions. And the deputy commander, first special forces command at the time, basically did not allow us to respond to those questions, which, you know, anybody who's listening that's been in the Army, a staffing packet will time out if you don't respond. Right. So he did a pocket veto. Yeah. And 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 so because we weren't allowed to respond, that force design update died. He more or less gave a command-directed force design update. 
And the irony is now, most of the SF leaders don't remember that decision, and they don't remember it was directed by a Special Forces General Officer. And so they're like, why do we have this? This should just go away. <laughs> and, and so it's kind of like, come no. on. You know, and yeah. It just becomes funny to me when you look at the series of decisions from essentially 2006-ish after the, the divorce between KPOC and Yusuf. Right. And 2020 uh, to be in the position now that will, you know, move out our battalions underneath SF groups instead of the site group. And if DOD continues to pursue the 3,000 person shop for RSOF, mm-hmm. we, we have units that are going to go away. Right. Just like civil affairs, they're both they're both under pressure. Absolutely. A- absolutely. And, and you know better than anything, I just didn't want to speak for you. Sure. People talk on my behalf all the time. Please do. <laughs> <laughs> but, but uh, you know, it, it's one of those things that that's not going to be easily brought back or replicated when, when it's gone. It's taken us a long time with a lot of recruiting efforts in a very dry recruiting environment to to continue to grow and, and, and fill the units and get quality people and go through our assessment selection. I mean, it's it's been tough, but it's been tough for all three tribes and you know the tribes are civil affairs special forces and psychological operations are all in our soft yeah Yeah. and we consider ourselves tribes and and in this particular case all three of those tribes uh and to an extent the marine corps all fish in the same pond Mm -hmm. like when you've only got 20 some percent of the united states youth population that would even be eligible to try and you're can competing with colleges and college sports. I mean, we're all, we're all sort of going after the same person to a degree and it's hard. Yeah. Yes. And no, I think because, and I'll be honest, I think that PSYOP in the past has had its hands tied behind his back because they're either under IO or they're under SOF or they're in a position that is classified and they haven't had a chance to really be public. There's, there's very few, public discussions about psychological operations and what they do for a living, why it's important, why it's interesting. So they haven't really had a chance to recruit with the same impact as special forces or civil affairs or others. I agree with that. I I just had a conversation with some folks from University of Wisconsin on uh, civil affairs and environmental engineering. And how they are partnering with the community to bring in environmental engineers into the CA world so that they can work in civil affairs side and on the academic side and their commercial background. And I have not seen a lot of PSYOP efforts in the same direction, but I, it's possible. It's possible to get into USC, Annenberg, or into Chicago, you know, Northwestern or New York, um, you know, NYC and talk to them about marketing and persuasion and how that's used in the military to forward foreign policy. So I, I think there's, there's ground, there's fertile ground for PSYOP to actually grow its numbers that way. I, I agree. I mean, we had started um, when the military information support command, uh, the MESOC as we called it was still around. Mm-hmm. The, the first commander uh, was really pushing for his name was Colonel Sorensen. He was actually an SF guy. Uh, had a lot of uh, JSOC time, and he was pushing for us to do more uh, 
I, I guess internship type programs would be a, bit, a better way to put it with Hollywood and with marketing firms. And, and actually, because so much of what we do is sort of governed by lawfare, yeah. you know, he wanted some help from, from legal institutions, et cetera. And we did. I mean, we had uh, a couple different professional opportunities to go interact with different people at different times. And we were trying to formalize a lot of that. And then, unfortunately, he left the command and the push to professionalize the force, you know, academically, especially external academics beyond special warfare center and school and, and, and having those type right. uh, professional relationships was really hard. It, we did uh, for a long time, a program called training with industry. And so we have worked in various media organizations in, in the Southeast sure. to be able to, learn the trade, if you will, on like how to run radio stations and how to run television stations and how you do cross-level marketing, how you become appealing to a, a, an audience or a demographic. And and it was all helpful. But there was always a little bit of a cloud over that program because it could often take, because they were mostly officer-specific, and it could throw their timeline off for promotion to major. Sure. If, if the timing wasn't right. And and so those programs, while formalized and still exist, uh, timing it with the right person in the right place was always hard. And when you, and at, at one point, I think we were really only talking about three actual positions. So, you know, out of a force of, you know, 3,000 some psyopers, you know, you're sending only three people. And so your hope is that those leaders stay in the force and, and spread their knowledge when they get back, et cetera. But that wasn't always the case. Right. Right. Uh, but so you almost need to make it a standard force rotation to go out into industry. Uh, something. I mean, you know, there, there's a, two or three different ways that you could do it. Uh, I think really it comes down to no one else on the civilian world does exactly what we do. Now there's a lot of people that have touch points, you know, everybody talks about marketing and there's some, some definitely um, parallels there, but but we also look at the social sciences. We look at a lot of stuff like gaming theory. We look at the uh, uh, population theories, uh, mass movement theories. So so a lot of the social sciences kind of thing. And so if you go, sure, you know, just to a marketing firm, you're going to learn a lot. But it's incomplete if you don't really study, you know, people and populations. Right. You know, the other pieces were were very cultural driven because obviously. We do everything that we do in a native uh, language capability within a, uh, the population that we're trying to communicate with. So when you're talking about uh, how do you study cultures, how do you study how they communicate, you know, the entire world actually is not on 5G, despite some of the decisions you're making that we're talking about recently. You know, uh, and, and so if you're trying to talk to your population and you're only communicating them in English through a 5G platform, you know, but, but that's not going to work, but, but that's, that's, you know, a lot of people have that in their head that, that, that that's okay. And that's, that, that's really right. They're talking in the mirror. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you're, you, you might as well be, you know, close yourself in a closet, just scream, right. man. Cause it's, it's not working. But well, I'll uh, be honest. I think there are, I think the closest similarities are actually people who work in international political advising or, Organizations like FTI, which do international or multinational mergers and acquisitions, and mm -hmm. because they have to both know the 
business side of it, the intelligence side, as well as the cultural side in order to make a, a merger, an international yeah. merger stick. Oh, 100%. Right? No, I, I like that. I like that comparison. Uh, I often tell people that if you take essentially information warfare, political warfare, lawfare, marketing, and social sciences and blend it all up, you, you're, you're scratching sap. And, um, sure. and we have to find, you know, ways for us to be able to maybe work with one of those organizations. We, we have to be pretty careful about working for a, somebody's campaign in a foreign country, because then that, yes. that would be, you know, essentially <laughs> the U S is, 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 is supporting this one candidate or not. But, uh, right. But, right. But yeah. You almost have to go on an internship with a, with a political group or a lobbyist that does international con- consulting to do that. Yeah. And even that, then, the, the American public would probably freak out, you know, at that. But it, it would still be worthwhile. Okay, we're going to cut it there, but we'll see you next week with the conclusion of the Robert Curris interview. Thanks for listening. If you get a chance, please like and subscribe and rate the show on your favorite podcast platform. Also, if you're interested in coming on the show or hosting an episode, email us at capodcasting at gmail.com. And now, most importantly... To those currently out in the field, working with a partner nation's people or leadership to forward U.S. relations, thank you all for what you're doing. This is Jack, your host. Stay tuned for more great episodes, 1CA Podcast.